0: Hello, that's right, it's the Bad Vibes Club. This is a conversation with Kate Liston, who's an artist who lives and works in Newcastle. I was staying with Kate while I did some teaching at Northumbria University. She was really kind um, and uh, let me stay. And over the few days that I was there, we were chatting quite a lot about affect theory and our interest in kind of emotions and the physical states that represent those feelings. And Kate agreed to have this conversation. We speak about a a few of her works. The best way to find out about these is to go onto her website where she's got documentation. Um, But I'll just describe them so that they're not lost as the conversation progresses. The first thing we talk about was an installation called Pedagogical Structures that was in a show called The Scientific Method at the Tetley in Leeds in 2016. Then we talk about Dasein and Cassine, which was a performance reading that Kate did, which was associated with some of her research that she undertook for a PhD. And Bolero Shrug is a 16 mil film that Kate made in 2016 during a two-week residency with Hands On Film Lab in Newcastle. Uh, and if people want to see that, you can get in touch with Kate or get in touch with me and I can send you a, a, a Vimeo, a private link. And the final thing we'll talk about is called A Film for EBM, which is what I kind of keep referring to at the end as The Gym Film. She's got a few things coming up. She's doing a workshop with Tess Denman-Cleaver at Audiograph Festival in Oxford on the 17th of March and Kate has a vinyl album coming out in April with Matt Jenner, John Lawrence and Black Tower Projects. It's another great conversation and it was really nice to speak to Kate and find out more about her work and kind of find out about how she's working with the theoretical areas that I'm really interested in. And that's how we start, actually. I I asked her how she found out about affect theory and how she started using it in her work. So enjoy the conversation.
1: I was doing a show at the Tetley Gallery in Leeds. um, That was called the Scientific Method, and I made a body of sculpture um, that called Pedagogical Structures. And I was kind of really interested in this form of a lectern and the way that that kind of evokes, um, well, the, the way that that looks like a person with their head bowed down, and that by reading from a lectern you have to bow your head down and that both those actions enact the gestures associated with shame so it's kind of interesting this idea of shame and the idea that by just kind of adopting the position associated with an emotion you might then experience that emotion so I had made these sculptures that echoed that form I was also interested in technology you know with mobile phones like we often walk around with our heads bowed down like there's a whole phenomenon within um physiotherapy of trying to fix what's known as tech neck which is where you just kind of walk around with your head kind of permanently down and yeah just think about what it means for a whole generation to kind of basically look ashamed all the time walking around the street every time we sit down we sit with our heads bowed down. It's very particular that
0: um cupped hand gesture that you're, you take up when you're on a phone as well it's like the like medieval kind of religious painting often has this kind of gesture of like people holding their hands together
1: yeah I it's quite guess. caring isn't it yeah or like
0: asking for penance or something right right yeah
1: penance.
0: yeah but I, haven't, I haven't ever thought of the lectern itself like taking up the shame pose and then I guess people form their body around it right they're yeah. just taking up that bowed head posture
1: yeah echoing it and reproducing it but then there's also something about so I'd written, I did a practice ed PhD and I wrote about, um, well, I actually started the PhD with a piece of writing about like, a story about the first university in Paris and this event that happened around Shrove Tuesday when a group of students, so they were, they were kind of like, students who would have kind of servant, young servant kids, and they sent this kid out to a bar to get some wine to bring back to this kind of student party. And this kind of was like the start of the separation of, like, town and gown and the idea of, like, education as being, like, privileged or, like, other than the rest of, you know. When was this then? What?
0: Um, I think... Gives a rough century.
1: Oh, I'm going to say 15th, and I think that's probably wrong. Uh, um, I wrote it quite kind of furiously gathering from sources. I basically kind of rewrote lots of this, this same story that I found told over and over again as this like apocryphal tale of the birth of universities. Um, and this kid, so this kid was sent out to get some wine. He brought it back from a local bar and it was sour. And the university kids kind of kicked off and there basically was a big brawl between town and gown. And it ended up with like kind of going to every level of the university, and they threatened to leave Paris. And the way that they threatened to leave was, they said that they would shake the dust of Paris off their gowns. So this there was this kind of idea of like the the base material. But I was kind of just interested in this the metaphor of like dust as being like lowly and of the earth, and that as academics they were in their minds and of, of a high operating in a higher level. And this kind of, like, stuff of the city could go back to... We give this back to you, the city stuff. Mm, yeah. um, but really, I was interested in the fact that this big fight was, like, part of the story of this, the formation of this university. And I'd read that, like, the word study has has a, a, a meaning of, like, to battle. Like, there's actually kind of violence in, in the root of that word. And there's something about, yeah, pain and anguish and, like almost violence and something about almost like, like using penance, you know, like mm. bowing your head that you, there's something performative about study, that it has to be arduous and that that kind of seems to be somehow like embodied in that form of the lectern.
0: But it's also interesting how like, it sounds, to me it's almost like the way, when you're telling that story, I'm thinking of it as like a parable of um, the, split, the like Cartesian dualism or something like mm. that. People like separating themselves off from the matter, the dirt, of, yeah, yeah. like real life, and mm-hmm. real, yeah, becoming just pure thinking things or something in the university. Yeah, yeah. And um, what were the what were the objects you made? This you made lecterns.
1: So there was a small a lectern scale lectern that had text projected on it that was almost like an auto cue, like it kind of scrolled upwards, and that gave the text of a video that was projected. On a wall behind it, it was actually projected from within the lectern. So the lectern kind of had housed a projector in it that projected this video on the wall, and then another tiny projector projected this text onto the lectern. So it was kind of animated, I guess, as an object. It was like a speaking object, like an auto cue. Um, and then I had a a large, like a giant, kind of oversized lectern that kind of looked down on you as the viewer. Um, which maybe also looks a bit like... I was kind of also interested in these, you know, the the amount of screens that exist around, like... Mm shopping centres and universities and banks and hospitals and often they're like either facing up to you like a lectern or they're facing down on you and kind of bowing their heads down on you and, and I guess the dimensions of the face of the large lectern-like object that I made maybe echoed the dimension or proportions of a screen, a television screen.
0: Because lecterns aren't necessarily for public speaking, right? They're, I'm thinking of things like religious spaces where books mm. are kept on lecterns, mm-hmm. and you kind of read the book because it's too big to keep some rest. Is that I don't really know the history of like the lectern as an object, yeah. but in a public speaking sit, you're raised up above the um, people you're speaking to, so you're looking down on the people even as you're adopting this kind mm. of stance of shame or something.
1: Yeah, I guess, well, you've just done the talk at Northumbria, and I was thinking, we don't have, it's not a lectern, is it? There's like a kind of desk. Is it raised? It's kind of raised, but you can sit behind it. It's quite... Because I host that most weeks and artists choose... Like some people really want to kind of sit behind the screen. Almost, you can raise the screen up so you could be totally, totally hidden. And some artists <laughs> That's will have really like good. yeah, just like slowly raising up yeah. face. and just a voice coming out from behind the screen. Yeah. Or like you were very can kind of act. You walked around kind of so you you weren't even really. Sounds like Britney Spears with that. you were like Britney, Britney Spears. <laughs> Loved it. <Yeah. laughs> we should have got you a Britney mic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right.
0: Um, I think but, it's a di- there's a different form of presentation the TED Talk style mm. or something, which is like you're performing a lot more for the audience. I mean, it's interesting. I was, I've done the Bad Vibes Club for a long time and we don't so much do academic stuff anymore. But we were doing academic lectures for a long time. And um, some people would come and read their paper. Mm. And it's like a bit of a shock when that happens, but it's like, yeah, that's how it works. Like if you're an academic, that's how you do talks. Mm-hmm. You might look, you might perform it, in, but yeah, you've always got your ideas written down because it's it can be quite particular that thought process whereas today I was doing an artist lecture so I was just kind of like bouncing around and thinking about things mm-hmm. I don't know like with the TED talk is as a format somewhere in between where it's like they're kind of faking spontaneity yeah. or something it's clearly a rehearsed mm-hmm. talk and they've done it many a time but they're not looking down at something they're performing exuberance yeah and in look, opposition I think yeah. to that shameful mm-hmm.
1: earnestness and yeah Actually, so one of the first people I heard talk about that thing of the reading making you kind of look down. It wasn't. In, it wasn't actually talking about in terms of being shameful. Uh, but Holly Pester had, did a talk at Northumbria uh, a few years ago um, that was part of a poetry conference, and she she definitely talked about this kind of that the poets in poetry readings, even though they know their own poems, will hold most often like the actual book or there's a, there's a, a kind of yeah, oh like, like a published book like yeah like the, the, in, yeah. Yeah, the book that has their poems printed in and there's a kind of yeah this kind of earnestness maybe she was talking more in terms of like that there's a um there's a sincerity or a kind of sense of like meaning that yeah. is different even though you know it so I, I've made this other work called darzine and Casein actually, which I'm sure we could talk about.
0: Cause we, what, what's it called Darsine? K- darzine
1: and Casein. What's Casein? Casein yeah. is a um, a protein found in milk. So the milk has whey and casein, and casein is the um, it's the more abundant one. It's the more gluey one. It can actually be used to make a glue. Um, it's used within bodybuilding as a. Protein supplement, and it's usually taken at night because it makes you very sleepy. It's, I guess, the lactosey part. Right. Yeah. Okay. And it, um, yeah, it is very slow to digest. So people take it at night, and it's this way of like, yeah. Um, Absorbing protein as you sleep, kind of, the way it's marketed is it's like, yeah, as you'll knit your mus- muscles back together, you know, you'll wake up stronger.
0: Um, <laughs> That's a good tag. Is that the tagline? Wake up stronger?
1: No, it should be. It should be. I should That's brand great. it. Um, and what's Darsain?
0: You, you go for Darsain. <laughs>
1: go for Darsain. I'll get Darsain wrong. So the way I described it in this um, piece of writing that I've performed is that Dasein is the most basic way of being of human beings. And it's a way of always being in relation to or being towards mm. the world, or like a world which could be a social context or um, a set of social parameters, like at work. There's a kind of world that you exist in at work, mm. and they're always kind of being towards being in relation to this, yeah, set of parameters. And
0: that's originally like Martin Heidegger's
1: term. Yeah, so, so Martin Heidegger. And I was, so I. I had attended a Heidegger reading group while I was doing my PhD that didn't last a very long time, but had a really big impact on me. And it was around this time that I had started weightlifting. So I do I do something called CrossFit, which is a kind of it's like a franchise. Really, it's a, a gym can set up as a CrossFit gym. They have to. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's like a big global franchise thing. So is CrossFit.
0: A trademark? Or, yeah. Ah, oh, I yeah, did not yeah. know that at all. Wow. So you have okay. to be
1: a CrossFit affiliate mm-hmm. if you want to call yeah. yourselves CrossFit. Lots of gyms now do pretty much CrossFit by any other name but CrossFit. But they're not allowed to
0: use that that word. Unless
1: you have gone and got CrossFit training, you know, CrossFit accredited yeah. coaching methods. Mm. And the CrossFit methods basically incorporate Olympic weightlifting, gymnastics, lots of like high intensity interval training, kettlebell trainings kind of borrows from lots of different techniques and the idea is it's kind of randomised. Anyway, through, the, through doing CrossFit, I was learning weightlifting and my gym is very much focused on weightlifting rather than the kind of conditioning side. So I was weightlifting and going to a Heidegger reading group. <laughs> so... The world of k <laughs> and the world of Dazine were kind of around me. Uh,
0: so that's such a thing that happens when you're doing a PhD. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> L- you got some tails. time to go to the gym. Yeah. And, um, and I, so I was kind of into this idea of... So Heidegger obviously also talks about the use of tools as extensions of yourself. And um, he uses... The, or the, the example that always stuck with me was this idea of a hammer... That a hammer is like because if you are hammering a nail into a wall that hammer becomes a kind of extension of your arm mm-hmm. and it's it expands your capacity as a human to act in the world and you don't notice that it's not you it feels like it's part of your agency and the same is kind of true of weights and weightlifting and nutritional supplements these things kind of in a cyborgian sense that can expand your capacity and be, I guess because often the goal of weightlifting, at least bodybuilding style, which is different to what I do but um, that is often to physically get bigger Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's yeah, a vision, yeah. you know, there's a kind of it's quite a kind of potent metaphor So being
0: towards like a bigger thing Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, You're yeah, literally
1: ex- physically expanding yourself through these tools um, but so I, yeah, so I'd written this text kind of Trying to find a, a way of like mapping this kind of relationship between these two words that initially just kind of rhymed or looked similar, and yeah. that seemed kind of like a, a funny way to kind of draw a connection. This, the actual material qualities of casein you know, are that it's very sticky; it's a glue, it can glue things together. So actually, that lectern work that I was saying had text projected on it. That was an earlier version of this design and casein text. Okay. And then I reworked that into a much shorter form, a bit more of a kind of, almost like a poem. Um, And I absolutely, like, learnt it off by heart, but I still needed to kind of have something to hold. And um, so so I'd I'd kind of shared it at, like, a reading event, and it was kind of clear that I, like, didn't really need the bit of paper, and people were saying, you know, why don't you just Stand up and recite it. Why do you need to have this bit of paper? Um, so I, I, I kind of set about like actually learning it off by heart. But I, um, yeah, I learned it by drawing kind of mnemonic drawings that like mnemonic oh, symbols okay. to to recall it, um, with the aim of kind of maybe just using it as a tool for myself. That the way that I've performed it since has always been to draw out those drawings live, you know, oh, right. from memory. Stand up with a bit of paper and read from it, and that is totally to do with that thing of needing to hold a thing. Mm. I mean, there's something interesting as well about sharing this drawing process, and you're watching somebody recall something. Yeah, the writing itself is very repetitive, and as is weightlifting and um, bodybuilding. Yeah,
0: have you ever done? I'm just thinking about health and there's like a calisth- calisthenics is that how you pronounce
1: it i think so is that
0: kind of where you use your own weight so oh like body use, weight kind of yeah you use your okay. and it's just it just seems interesting to me because most under contemporary understanding of fitness involves yeah like some kind of tool even if that tool right. is like a room or a gym mm. or something but calisthenics mm-hmm. is uses the body as a tool it's like a self-reflexive Yeah. I I don't know, yeah. I I, I don't I'm not involved in any of this stuff.
1: But that's is it from like the forties? Yeah, it feels like a very old like Victorian, like
0: people with moustaches, like Yeah. But then pulling themselves up into the air somehow.
1: The main coach from my gym actually was in the merchant navy and a lot of their work the you know, the kind of training that they had to do was like what can you do on a ship? You can't bring a load of weights onto a ship, you can't so it was all kind of like formation stuff. Like, not like aerobics classes, but like lots of kind of, yeah, body weight drilling stuff that you can do just with your own little square of space. Yeah.
0: Um, so were you, have you done that kind of thing as well? Or?
1: N- not really. He's, I mean, because it's not really like CrossFit. Yeah. But he sometimes throws a kind of random workout in and he, yeah, shared that thing once about being on a ship and, yeah. S-
0: yeah. And that's something there about, um, uh, yeah, like what, what, yeah, what's possible in a certain space. And there's kind of a link to affect theory as well because I guess on a ship you yeah you kind of that ship kind of l- limits it clearly sets boundaries to mm. what you can and can't do. I'm just thinking of um, you know Enclave in where oh, Rez yeah. is in yeah, Deptford. Yeah. Across the road is like a power gym. Yeah, i yeah. been there when they're doing their stuff. No,
1: but Sarah, Sarah Juri, yeah, always. Sometimes tells us they'll be
0: like. A guy with another guy like hanging off his back, and I they run round and then come back.
1: Yeah, it, well, from what Sarah's described to me, I think that's Iron Man training. Oh, so that's like, oh, sorry, is that another brand. Oh, sorry, not Iron Man. Iron Man is like the
0: that's endurance the, stuff. Yes. Yeah, strong man is what I mean. And is that another franchise, or it's, is that just? Uh, oh, I
1: don't think it's a franchise, but it's definitely an game.
0: atmosphere that they yeah.
1: go for. Well, it's just it, you know, like the strongest man in the world. Oh, that, I that see TV. what you mean. Yeah, yeah, because there is a lot of uh, tires yeah, and yeah, like yeah.
0: Uh, big. Kettlebells, is that yeah, the word?
1: Yeah, and um, things called atlas stones, which are big concrete balls. And you have to, like, pick them up yeah. and
0: grip them as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, lots of crazy, crazy grip stuff and, like, yeah. stuff, yeah, they obviously don't drag lorries, but it's that kind of idea. And there's, yes, men and women, it's called strongman yeah. training. Yeah. Yeah, place, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That's really fascinating. They yeah. play a lot of new metal. That's Do what they, I really like about
1: yeah, it. Yeah, really. our gym's, like, see, my gym's not very, like, CrossFit branded, but CrossFit, CrossFit in general is quite a lot of new metal. <laughs> oh
0: really? Yeah, oh yeah. I kinda of thought that was yeah, I thought that was unique to this gym, but maybe No,
1: it seems to be like quite it seems popular. a weird
0: choice for I thought gym gyms were all like house music and
1: I think there's a there's an idea of I mean CrossFit has just become like super popular and it's yeah, there's CrossFit gyms everywhere but it used to be almost like a point of um, authenticity for a gym to be like really really basic. Like my, we've just in moved. CrossFit gyms, you mean? yeah. Ah, okay. We've just moved to a new gym, but the old one was like paint peeling off the walls, like dead spiders in all the corners. Like not like any gym that you've not like a gym gym, like a kind of pure gym or a you know what they get known as like a Globo gym.
0: What does Globo mean?
1: Like a kind of like a you know like a high street like a pure gym or the gym group you know just a kind of chain gym where there's just tons of machines and nobody talks to each other and they get on a treadmill those kind of um and it's crossfit
0: like community based it's all group yeah
1: and it's you all kind of do the training together but it's not like a class where you're led by a person who's like come on everyone you know it's not like an aerobics class or something it's there's a workout on the board, you know, if you're starting at five o'clock, you all arrive and you kind of work through the warm up, like you're kind of doing it at the same time, but you might not be doing it. So is it like an,
0: a narco-syndicalist? Gym? like, you all make it happen at once? What's or
1: narco-syndicalism? Anarcho syndicalism
0: is like a decision-making process that's like really lefty. Oh, of, anarcho. right? Yeah, yeah, so you like, everyone has to agree on everything, and mm. there's no leader and you kind of communally, like, make things happen.
1: There's probably... It probably appeals... There's probably, like, a anarcho thing going on in terms of, like... Yeah, maybe maybe that, like... Appeal of, like, a really shitty spit and <laughs> kind of gym is to do with feeling like we're, we all do our own thing. It yeah. definitely appeals to a certain kind of person who... Oh, so you...
0: You're not working to get... Your, are you on your own, or...? You do...
1: So you, you are... There is a coach, always. Oh, so sorry. There okay. is a coach, um, yeah. but they're not, like, telling you exactly what to do, when to do. They'll... they'll um they might sh- refresh you on the movement, they'll they'll pick you up on your technique if you're doing something, if you're lifting something wrong or whatever. Then the the actual workout portion you would set off on the same time because it might be like twenty minutes, as many rounds as possible, or something like yeah. that. Um but yeah, there's definitely they definitely rely on a sense of community and in a way that like another kind of gym, like when I was younger and used to be a member of like university gym or like a pure gym you'd kind of go to classes as and when but you wouldn't speak to anyone you just get on a spin bike and do the thing and
0: does and does it i mean obviously you enjoy it but like is there something is there a kind of effective quality to like this stuff because when i i I, like the only exercise stuff i do is going swimming like Mm. The idea of like having to communicate with people while I was doing that would be like the opposite of what I want. I just kind of want to get in there and get out.
1: I know what you mean, and I used to always think I was that person. Like I used to do spinning because I didn't have to speak to anyone. I do go, tend to go in the morning classes because it's quieter in terms. There are fewer people, but I like the fact that I mean, a I would never would have really I think lifted weights as heavy. I never would have had the kind of um, confidence to. Go into like a weights room in a normal gym and just like try it out, and it probably mm. would have. I don't know. Well, it's probably dangerous for anyone to do that, but I think young men don't feel that sense of danger. They just have a go, <laughs> don't they? Whereas it's kind of.
0: Or you'd you'd have to go through that induction, but it would be a bit embarrassing. Right. So you're like, I'm not sure I want to do this. Yeah, but can I try it out? That's mm-hmm. quite a lot of um, visibility or something you're yeah. putting yourself through. But
1: yeah, so the knowledge. I mean, that uh, I'm not sure in terms of like an effective like wider effective space but I I quite often think of like the knowledge that is physically in that space Mm -hmm. so I in theory know how to do all of those movements but sometimes if I try and do them in a different gym or not in that space I just don't feel I can do them and obviously that's partly because there's not a coach there if I do if I'm you know doing the snatch or something at my gym I know that somebody's going to correct my form if I'm a bit off and also there's that thing where you just glance around and you see it and go oh yeah that's right I need to so be... that's
0: the poetry book in the hand situation mm, right like mm-hmm. that's the like feel better when it's there or something
1: mm-hmm. or just that kind of collective knowledge that is partly from watching someone and kind of echoing their movements and like just visibly being able to see people kind mm. of demonstrate a movement and partly somebody verbally would you know talk about how to move
0: better and what was the work you made about you just mentioned the snatch which Mm. is a weightlifting movement right yeah do you want to describe that movement
1: how do i describe it this is quite hard right so okay yeah that's (laughs) That's a fun thing to do so it's one of the olympic weightlifting moves so if you see the olympics the two movements big olympics
0: fans the podcast audience (laughs) the olympics audience
1: (laughs) um So the one, yeah, the clean and jerk is one of them, and that's the one where um, the hand grip is a little bit narrower. The bar, like a barbell, so you know those big long uh, metal bars with with weights on the end. Clean and jerk, people have like a narrower grip. You lift it up very fast. Starting kind of almost like squatting down near the bar. They bring it up to their shoulders, they're standing up, and then they like put it in the air and they split their legs. It's called a split jerk. Oh, yeah. That one. So that's one of them. And then the other one that you tend to see is the snatch. So that's again the weight, the barbells on the floor. The hands are really wide this time, and it's almost like starting in a squat position, although it's not quite squat and your chest is up. Um, And then you lift the bar up as you're standing up the bar kind of almost tracks your legs comes into your body into your hips and then you kind of um so there's a big kind of shrugging movement and it kind of flicks off your hips and very quickly if you see people do this on the olympics who are very good at this and slow down there's this kind of moment where like the bar stays still in the air they've kind of flicked it up and shrugged it up and then they get under it and then they squat
0: down and then they stand up I think that's a very good description of Thanks. quite a complex <laughs> <laughs> set of physical movements um, okay and so and in terms of weightlifting you started to do this
1: yeah so this is one of the movements that you have to learn as part of like it's, it's almost it's part of the kind of vocabulary of crossfit movements Mm. and i was describing to you yesterday so when i started learning that movement it's obviously physically demanding you know i was learning i was learning all of this you know my body had never tried you know lifting weights or kind of moving in this way so all of it was totally new but this movement in particular i mean it is known to be like a very technically challenging move anyway But what I'd noticed is that I just found it really socially awkward to learn <laughs> <laughs> and to do in front of people that I didn't know very well, because I don't know how to describe. It. Especially when you've kind of you've got the bar in the air. There's a moment where you're crouched, you're kind of squatting down to the ground. Your arms are really wide above your head, holding this bar and the weight, um, and it's like everything is exposed. You mm-hmm. know, like people always say, like you know, if you if you lift your arm up and expose your underarm, that that's somehow a sign of being really comfortable with someone because you're almost exposing this, like, I guess vulnerable, like, ticklish bit of yourself. (laughs) Yeah, ticklish.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's the fun, that's military psychology. It's a ticklish bit, isn't it? Yeah, it's a ticklish
1: bit. (laughs) Yeah, you're basically exposing all your ticklish bits. Yeah, sure, yeah, that's that's probably a
0: good way of describing it. Um, and And that felt awkward because... Even though that it's like a, a registered move, and you mm. know that you're learning that move, you're kind of exposing yourself or something.
1: Yeah, so you're exposing yourself. You have to do it very fast, and you have—I mean, people were literally shouting, "Be aggressive at me!" Okay. <laughs> you know, like it's—you've—you've you've got to be aggressive with it, and you're supposed to move really fast. You wear these shoes that have like hard soles, weightless oh, and shoes, right. and you should really stamp. make a stamp on the ground. Mm. Yeah, like make this kind of slam, like it's quite loud. It's quite you know. Everything about it is very loud and aggressive, open, extroverted, and and that felt uncomfortable to me. I mean, I guess my character is not loud, but also as a female, like, I'm very used to crossing my legs, like, holding my arms close to my body, kind of sitting in positions that make my body physically smaller. I was pulled up at the gym for being a bit of a, you know, putting my neck forward and... um, Yeah so it just uh, and I I was thinking about a like why it felt uncomfortable which made me think about my previous like vocabularies of movement Mm -hmm. this kind of like female um yeah making your body smaller that kind of thing taking it like wanting to take up less space and then it made me think about what would happen what was happening now that I was actually including this this as part of my like you know every week I was kind of doing yeah. this multiple times even though it's within this physical enclosed space I wasn't walking around the streets suddenly like you know <laughs> doing power postures I mm, wasn't showing anyone of my bits <laughs> outside of the gym but I had, I had noticed that start like after doing weightlifting that I was kind of walking a bit taller almost like sometimes a bit like I'd catch myself mainly in the gym kind of almost walking a bit pigeon chested like you know you see kind of guys like a kind of parody of like yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it just yeah and and what I found really exciting about that idea was um the idea that like by doing this movement I might be visibly portraying the idea of being more confident Mm -hmm. and then I guess even more exciting than that was like the idea that by visibly giving the outward appearance of confidence that you actually start to just be more confident you know yeah. it's, it's kind of yeah, that yeah, I mean yeah. it, that power posture thing
0: the Tory thing we talking well about.
1: not that I mean it was oh, what she called Amy, Amy Cudden actually Amy Cudden. so she did a t- I only know her work through this TED talk that she did but she did a TED talk about power postures as a kind of enabling thing for women in business the idea that if you're going for a job interview that a kind of trick that you can use is to before you go into the interview to go into the toilet, like lock yourself into a toilet cubicle, like, and then just stand like Wonder Woman, just stand in these like powerful postures. And just by having done that, when you then go into the interview, you just feel more powerful. Mm. Um, And that's, you know, like a kind of popular version of this idea, but I think it's got quite exciting potential and it kind of keys into that thing that we were talking about, the externalisation of affects. Yeah, Yeah, That it's not that you have like either confidence or lack of confidence or like feeling ashamed or these things kind of deep inside you as kind of innate essential feelings that get drawn out, that they're actually, those affects are produced with, Mm-hmm. situations with the world which including for me what I'm interested in is the way that it, they're produced with gestures that you have yeah. learned through you know through society.
0: It strikes me that as interesting that in the moment of you taking on the posture of power or confidence or other related feelings you feel exposed which is related to the feeling of humiliation or mm-hmm. shame which is um ritualistic or something right like so you're going through the awkwardness or the embarrassment like it's probably not shame humiliation it's probably embarrassment isn't it mm. but uh, you're going through that and then you transcend into this kind of um, powerful position or something and and i wonder if like everyone in that room at least all the women maybe if you if we're talking about like the kind of gendered mm. affects or like gendered vocabulary of movements like have been through that and they know that you're going through that mm. and when they're shouting <laughs> be <laughs> aggressive at you My interest is, like, there are still, like, those two kind of stages and, like, you're in a kind of hierarchical situation where, like, there's a load of people who feel comfortable doing it Mm. but know that you don't feel comfortable doing it and there's no real way to bridge that gap.
1: Because if you're
0: shouting, be aggressive at someone. That's aggressive. Like yeah. Whether you whether you're being really encouraging or not, I don't know. Did you feel encouraged or did you? Yeah, feel
1: like... no, it was all like it was almost. I think they thought it was funny that okay, I, yeah. It just in it's still like a thing. A lot of people before squashing will like stamp their feet, like in, yeah, quite. There's a lot of like weird rituals that people have for like I do some strange. Um, almost like twisting my ankle just to get it in the right position and it's totally Uh, like almost a nervous tick or something that I'm thinking I've got to get this um, you know I've got to like get myself rooted into the ground before I pick this bar up and yeah so I think yeah it didn't feel like it was aggressive the way people were shouting but I think that's really interesting what you're saying about the ritualistic aspects of it because I guess What's specific about something like The Snatch is it is a a set movement. It's it's not like, I guess, there might be other practices of movement that are about fluidly, freely finding, you know, these more expressive kind of movements. And I don't, yeah.
0: The Snatch, you just got to do it and you just got to do it right and people know how that is, which is aggressively. You can't do it non-aggressively. There's no way to do it. Gently, or something, or yeah. fluidly.
1: And once you've well, once you've learned it, you've learned it, and it's not yes. strange then. Whereas, I, I'm trying to think of a, I can't, like a kind of contact improvisational
0: yeah, contemporary sure,
1: yeah. dance. There might be like constant discovery of negotiation of That's, movements. Yeah. Um, and what? So,
0: what was the work that you kind of ended up making?
1: So, I made a film um, called Bolero Shrug. That was a sixteen millimeter film that I made on a residency with a, a, a film lab called Hands-On Film that's in Newcastle. It's run by Leah Miller, who's an artist in, in Newcastle. And, um, yeah, I was kind of interested in exploring the idea of, like, what happens from learning this movement, the snatch. And I was also interested in the fact that that movement has within it this gesture of the shrug, so that's like the most nonchalant <laughs> gesture within this really aggressive, like, powerful movement, and I, um, so I asked a friend from the gym to, um, like, to drill the movement, to kind of go through all the drills that you would do uh, with a plastic pipe in a photography studio, and then I tried to teach um, two friends how to do the movement with broom handles, actually, they used um, over Skype. So we went through those kind of movements. I also, I quite often used like small scale balsa wood models that maybe look like architecture or like very simplified forms that maybe echo, yeah, architectural structures. And they maybe echoed this this shape that um, the physical form of the snatch created. So I kind of took footage from these elements I also I had the cover of a book that which had the front cover was um, a painting of a woman holding her hand over her arm over the back of her head, so exposing mm-hmm. that kind of underarm area, and that kind of felt like the opposite of this, or like it was a very loose gesture, kind of like stereotypically kind of feminine gesture. I had that book cover kind of in amongst these objects, the Passion According to G- G.H., that's the book.
0: Passion According to G.H.? The passion
1: According to G.H. What
0: is it? What is
1: it written by? It's probably like... It's a novel uh, or something? It's a novel. Okay. It's, yeah, it's a really great novel. Um, yeah. And so I took footage from all of these things and I also filmed from my laptop screen. So it, that Skype uh, lesson, I had filmed the laptop screen and I also filmed... This is all in 60mm black and white footage. So um, yeah, And... I filmed a dancer called Maya Plisticaia, um performing this uh, ballet to uh, Maurice Ravel's Bolero, that piece of music. It's very, I'm not going to try and... I'm going to s- fade it in. Do it, yes. I'll fade it in. He in will end. have a sample. Pause. that piece of music is itself very repetitive, it's almost, um, I think it's, I'm sure I read somewhere that it's almost like a kind of, supposed to portray like a fugue state, like almost Mm. a kind of heightened psychic state, Um, and the dance that uh, Maya Thistakaya performed has this, begins with this shrugging gesture. very kind of small slight movements and then she becomes this kind of commander there's actually a ring of like male dancers on chairs around the circular stage that she's on and she's almost kind of commanding them up into they start with their heads slumped down and they slowly kind of rise up and um yeah I just I just listen to that music a lot and watched that video a lot while I was making the film. I hadn't planned to actually incorporate it, but then it became this kind of, she almost became like the strange commander of the work. These, almost like she was instructing these people to do this movement, and uh, yeah, ended up kind of cutting the film to that music from that video. So it actually ends with the, appa- the applause of the audience to mm. that
0: dance. How did it feel to approach someone from your gym and be like, oh, can you be in my weird artwork? Mm is that okay like d- did they know you were an artist and that this or, or did you have to what's the word confess confess <laughs> or i was thinking about recently i was thinking about uh, or someone was talking about like coming out as an artist in a situation which was otherwise untainted by your art practice i always yeah. think it's really interesting like Oh, I'm sorry, but I'm an artist and I want to change our relationship slightly.
1: Yeah. No, they... Well, everyone knew what I did because when I started the gym, I was doing this PhD, so I had to kind of... Oh, it's like an art PhD. This is what I... You know, have a studio and stuff. And everyone was like... super, Like, yeah. Everyone's just into lots of stuff. So... Um, yeah, the coach, the main coach in the gym, had come to a poetry recital that I was part of. Like, right, it, wow. you know, people, yeah.
0: I've got such weird assumptions about gym people. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's, it's bad of me. I
1: think. But the um, yeah, so Louise, who uh, was in the film, she yeah, she was really open to it. She was really up for it. She came to the screening, which was down at uh, Cobalt Studios in Newcastle. And I've actually since made a film with like lots of people of my gym. Oh right. Yeah. What's that then? So that was so the show that I had last year at the Hatton, um called "Feel After the New Sea." I kind of set that that my kind of yeah I like premise for that exhibition was that I would there would be an exhibition, so there was a kind of installation of sculptures, there was um wall paintings, and within one of the wall painters wall paintings, um, some kind of collage films were projected. But the premise was that that was be kept as a kind of active space for the production of a new film that was to be added at the end. And the way it was kind of kept productive was that I had um, two events, one of which was the LARP, which was uh, written by uh, Sarah Jury with Hamish McPherson, yeah, who okay. worked with. And uh, there was a, a kind of screening performance event. And I went on a research trip to um, an archive to look at the work of an artist called Ella Bergman-Michelle who had kind of informed a lot of the the thinking behind the show and I had a painting by Ella Bergman in the exhibition. So the the film that I ended up making, this film at the end, was um, always intended to be called Film for EBM, so Film for Ella Bergman-Michelle. And I I got really obsessed with this drawing by Ella Bergman-Michelle that... Looked like, so the, the work they had in the show by Ella Bergman was a, an abstract collage, geometric, um, from the 20s, kind of mostly black and white, very thin kind of arrows spiraling around these two circles and some kind of broken lines emanating out from the, the two circles, almost like a kind of graphic score or like, um, but yeah, very abstract and. Um, yeah, So, it, and she had made lots of kind of work that looked quite similar to that, that, yeah, totally abstract, no um, kind of figuration. But around the same time, she'd also made this drawing that was, like, totally surreal. It showed three platforms with holes in, with flames coming through each of the holes. It was, like, infested with flies and bubbles. It was just this kind of totally mad, like, totally opposite seeming kind of drawing and I was really obsessed with this drawing and how it just portrayed this kind of like yeah impossible world and it almost looked like a kind of 2D platform video game you know mm, with the yeah, levels mean, yeah. and so I was imagining this as a space that you could like navigate through with a character and the title of that drawing was um, Neuron People idea design for a film or theatre mechanism with uh, Johan Maltzen, who's an artist who she worked with. And I kind of took that idea quite literally as, okay, I'm going to take this as the idea design for a film that I'm going to make. And that informed the kind of film sketches that was in the show the whole way through. So I made a balsa wood set that looked a little bit like the levels in that drawing and um, got a load of flies to navigate that. that. Just so happens, a friend at work, her partner, runs a company called Bugs and Stuff, and they <laughs> loan flies out sometimes for film sets when they need a corpse and they need flies on it.
0: Trained flies?
1: Not. They're not trained. They're just flies that are bred. They're actually they like fly. they they're bred in captivity, so they don't fly very well. But oh, that's so sad. I know so it, sad. it is really sad. I felt I didn't realize that until. I did the filming, we had to really encourage them to fly around the <laughs> Um But yeah, so there was this, so that I'd made a set that some flies navigated, um, I got a hamster and a guinea pig to navigate this world, um, Ella Bing was very interested in, a lot of her drawings are very like biomorphic, this kind of world almost overtaken by animals, so it's interesting. And these animals are taking over. What I ended up making at the end, this film for EBM, I gave that drawing, a copy of that drawing, to the coach at my gym and asked if you would make a
0: workout of it based on this drawing. The schematic kind of arrows drawing, not the flies drawing.
1: No, the crazy flies drawing. Oh, OK, drawing. right, OK. Yeah, yeah um, which he was totally freaked out by. It's just kind <laughs> of a lesson in, you know, when you think you're giving someone a really exciting gift of, like... You know, oh, yeah, do, you know, devise a workout based on this. Oh, and it was that, plus my sculptures that I'd made. Okay. Um And, yeah, he just, he was kind of like, I'm, I'm up for it, but just tell me what to do. Like, mm. what? what? So we, we basically sat down and worked out a workout to do together that was um, based on... A, a standard workout that you do in CrossFit that would kind of visually have lots of different kinds of movement going on with it. Yeah. And I brought to the gym one of the sculptures that was in the Hudson exhibition, and we used a lot of kind of like um, on one of those gliders, like sort of kind of panning shots back mm. and forth while people were doing these movements, and applied the same kind of way of filming to the the sculptures at the in the exhibition and I kind of overlaid the two over each other, and that was the final film. Um, so yeah, so my gym has been through my the rigour of yeah. working with me. They've been off. Yeah, they got paid in like snacks and like protein. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: That's really nice. So you've introduced them to like precarious labour practices. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. That's yeah. really good of you too. Yeah,
1: that was good. And they came, they came to see it at the Hatton. And yeah, kind of great. Under, yeah, that's good.
0: But no workouts in the Hatton? You didn't bring No, the yeah, yeah. The
1: no. The, yeah, the art kind of came to the gym. The gym didn't come to the art. That, that could have been another step of it. Yeah, maybe next
0: time. Thank you so much to Kate for having me and for having that conversation thanks to her partner Dan for cooking a delicious meal while we sat in the lounge and talked and thanks to you all for listening and I'll I'll speak to you next time bye